0: Uh, let me invite you uh, to turn uh, in your Bibles to John chapter 4 as we uh, continue our series, uh, Come and See. Uh, be, again, John chapter 4. Let me give a huge shout out uh, quickly uh, to Becca and Aaron. Uh, they're back there running the computer and the sound uh, in Chad and Phillip's absence, and I think they're doing a good job. Uh, I always, always enjoy uh, seeing new people and young people uh, step up in the areas of ministry, and uh, they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, and the good news is they've been successful, <laughs> right? They've been successful, and which leads to this question. How many of you have ever failed at something? Now, how many of you have come up with very clever excuses as to why you failed at something? Yes, uh, Fridays, I, I've told you all this before, that's my laundry day, it's my day off, I do laundry, but many Fridays it doesn't get done, and I have a list of excuses that I just rotate around. So when Jennifer gets home from, now it's summertime, so she actually is there to see this, but when she gets home and I haven't done what I said I was going to do and I have failed at fulfilling anything, because some, some days you just need to sit and watch TV, Right? I mean, just not often, uh, but sometimes you just need to relax. Ministry is stressful, you know. You just need to relax. Uh, but I have a whole list of excuses. Uh, Jason and Chad has provided some of those because I just had to go eat lunch with them on a Friday. And, you know, I had to prepare to go eat lunch and shower and, get, you know. So that just takes so much time uh, to do. So we all have a list of excuses as to why uh, we fail to do things. And as funny as those can be, and as great as that can be, and uh silly as that can be, on a serious note, I think if we looked around the world today, the church is failing at its number one task. I think <clears throat> as a whole we are failing to evangelize and to reach people with the gospel. In fact, for uh, a number of years now, I'm getting ready to give you all an excuse as to why I can't talk. <coughs> uh, I mowed yesterday, and uh, apparently my allergies are having a little bit of a fit. So excuse the raspiness and the laryngitis. But if you look back at the last decade or so in the Southern Baptist Convention, we have seen a steady and rapid decline in church membership, a steady and rapid decline in baptisms, a steady and rapid decline in spiritual growth and with the convention and the annual meeting coming up uh in a couple weeks you're going to hear a lot of people give a lot of excuses as to why we have failed at evangelizing uh, and i'm just going to be honest with you it's all political because different groups want power and they say they can change but when we look at our scripture today we are given clear indications not exhaustive there are other reasons but we're given clear reasons as to why I think the church is failing at the task of evangelism. And so I want us to read, if, if you've been following with us, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We've been looking at John chapter 4, which is the story of a woman at a well. Uh, the first week we looked at it, we said that everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And my question to you is: where is your well? Where is it that you have to go to talk to people about Jesus. Where is it that God is leading you to proclaim His truth and to love people and to build relationships? Where is it that, where is your well? Uh, then last week we saw what Jesus did while He was at the well. The conversation that He had with this woman. This conversation where He lovingly confronted her about her sin and lovingly told her and transformed her and how to overcome the power of sin in her life. And we kind of left off with her leaving her buckets of water, empty buckets, and she's going back to the town to tell everybody about Jesus. Her life has been radically transformed from a sinner to a saint. But we pick up the end of the story today as the disciples, the wonderful disciples, show back up. And they've totally missed what's going on. Literally, because they weren't there but spiritually and physically as well. They totally miss what is happening in this moment. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, we'll start in verse 27. Then the disciples arrived, and they were amazed, or they were shocked that he was talking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? And then like a little side note, the woman left the water jar went into town and told the people come and see who told me everything I did could this be the messiah and they left the town and made their way to him in the meantime it's like a movie isn't it it's like one scene the next scene and this is in the meantime in the meantime the disciples kept urging him rabbi eat something eat But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? In verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months. Then comes the harvest. Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes, look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper has already is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for, others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. In verse 39, now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said. When they testified, he told me, when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. Notice again, our series is called Come and See. The woman at the well has invited the entire village to come and see. But the failures of evangelism are not pictured in the woman, but in the followers of Jesus who are still trying to figure things out? Uh, what we see overall that Jesus is telling these disciples is: now is the time to share Jesus. Now is the time for my disciples to make disciples. And we see three reasons for evangelistic failure. Three reasons why they are not doing this now. The first one is prejudice. That's the first one. It's three excuses for evangelistic failures. The first one is their prejudice. Now, I'm not going to labor this point because we really talked about it a lot two weeks ago with that idea of everyone everywhere. I gave you the history on why Jesus going to the Samaritans was such a big deal. But you do see that not only is there a racial prejudice with her being a Samaritan, him being a Jew, there's a gender prejudice at stake. The the disciples show back up and they say, why is he talking to a woman? I mean... Can can, you just get it in your mind that the disciples they've been, they're walking back up, and here's Jesus talking to a woman, and they're just stunned, like mouths wide open, stunned. We've all been speechless, right? We've all experienced those moments where something has happened where, what do you say? The disciples are speechless, and we know what they're thinking But they're so amazed, they're so shocked that Jesus, a rabbi, is talking to a woman. Now, why does that amaze them? There is a rabbi thought. There is a cultural uh, procedure where a rabbi uh, was not to ever speak to a woman. Not even their wives, if they were married. They weren't to teach them the Torah. They weren't to speak to them in any kind of way because it was seen as a waste of time for the rabbi to even approach a woman ladies don't get mad okay because what you see is jesus breaking down that gender barrier right you see jesus is not wasting time by showing her the gospel where jesus recognizes she's a child of god she's wonderfully and beautifully created in the image of god and she needs jesus but the rabbis of the day and the jewish thought of the day they would have never spoke to this woman they would have never given her the time of day. It was considered. This is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. I read it in two places because I didn't believe the first one. A, if a rabbi was married and if a rabbi had a daughter, if he spoke to his daughter to teach her the Torah, it was so frowned upon that the thought, the thinking of the day would, it would, it's better for her to become a prostitute than for the rabbi to talk to her. That's the kind of barriers that Jesus is tearing down. And the disciples have this Jewish prejudice thinking in their mind when they show up. And so they're shocked. One, she's a woman. One, she's a different race. She's a different nationality. Why is he talking to her? Because the gospel does not discriminate. The gospel message is for everyone, everywhere, white, black, brown, yellow, whatever language they speak. It's for everybody. Now we may not have gender prejudice, some might, I hope not. We may not even have racial prejudice today, but some do. But we have other kinds of prejudice. You walk around, you're seeing somebody on a Harley all tattooed up from ankles to the ears. There's a prejudiced attitude in many hearts that come with that. Why would I waste time talking to that person about the gospel? They're too far gone with all those tattoos. Or maybe earrings or piercings. Or long hair for guys. I hear preachers talk about guys with long hair all the time on the internet. And they're like, that's such a sin to have long hair. Jesus probably had long hair. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. But there are prejudices that are in our hearts. It doesn't have to be race. It doesn't have to be gender. It can be what people look like. It can be what people talk. It can be what side of the tracks they grew up on. We look at them and we say, we don't want that person in our church. The disciples like, we don't want this woman a part of our group. And yet Jesus has shared the gospel with her. We fail at evangelism because we fail to see the need in every human being. We look at physical things, we look at other characteristics, and we develop these judgmental attitudes toward them, and we fail to see that those attitudes are stopping us from advancing the gospel. I said I wasn't going to harp on it too much, but I kind of did. Because we do live in a world filled with prejudice. The second thing we see is preoccupation. We are a busy people. I mean, we're busy. I know we're busy. I know we have things to do. In fact, Satan, I think, has intentionally created a the busyness of life to keep us away from the important things the disciples they're preoccupied with food now that's okay we understand they get hungry we understand that they've been down to the waffle house and they're ready to eat okay and they and we understand that Jesus has been on a long journey and he may have had some water or a sip of water but the disciples understand Jesus you got to get something to eat see they're preoccupied with providing for themselves And they're missing the provision that Jesus has already provided for this woman. For us, the busyness of life is found in our work. We just work, 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 work. We have meetings and meetings and meetings. And we do this and we do that. And then we go on vacation to relax. How many of you come back from vacation and need a vacation from your vacation because you didn't relax on your vacation? Am I the only one? You know, it's like we got to fill our schedule. I am a simple man. I can grab a cup of coffee and sit on the porch of the beach house all day and be happy as can be. Never talking to anybody. Never going anywhere. I can just be happy. Well, there are others in my family who wouldn't be happy just going and going and going and doing and doing and doing. That's why God puts opposites together. Because I would never probably go anywhere or do anything. So, But I have a wonderful family member who gets me out of that comfort zone. And I always have fun. I tell her all the time, I'm not going to tell you what I want to do because I want to sit on the porch. But I will have fun with whatever you want us to do. But yet the world is filled with we've got to go, we've got to do, we've got baseball and basketball and track and soccer and hockey and we've got all these things. And then we fill our time with TV. I'm guilty that. I love TV. We fill our time with TV. We indulge in our hobbies. Satan created social media and smartphones to keep us busy. By the way, smartphones were intended to help life be easier and make us less busy. It's made us more busy. Those little dings of the emails that are going off constantly. Our minds are so busy and so preoccupied with anything and everything that we fail to look around and see... There's people at the well who need Jesus. And I'm just I'm not pointing my fingers at you. This preaches to me more than it probably preaches to you. I can I can get on the golf cart or at the beach and I can go around and see all these people, and it never occurs to me that they need Jesus. I can drive down the road and be sitting at a stoplight, and it never occurs to me that the person sitting next to me needs Jesus. Because I'm so preoccupied with my own thoughts my own needs, my own desires, and I fail to see the need that is around me. And Jesus responds to them. He says, Jesus, we're hungry, you're hungry, let's eat. They're preoccupied with food. And Jesus says, I've already ate. And at this point, I think Peter is over there saying, who gave him a Big Mac? I mean, when did he get food? And then Jesus explains it. He goes, my food, my substance, my provision is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is the mission statement of Jesus. And really it's the mission statement of the church. The church's mission is to do the will of the one who has brought us together, the one who has given us a work to do. And our mission is to finish the work The statement I like to use and I think is fitting for this passage is we are disciples of Jesus who need to be devoted uh, to making or committed to making disciples for Jesus. And yet the church is so preoccupied with all these other things. We're so preoccupied with things that uh, are important, but they're not eternally important. We preoccupy ourselves with our own needs. Churches get inward focused where we only focused on ourselves, like the disciples, they're only focused on their selves, where we miss the need of the person living right next door or down the street, because we get so preoccupied with other things that we miss the mission. John Calvin writes this about this passage. He says, By his example, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God should have priority over everything, including bodily comforts. There's an old story. That's a long story, but there's an old story about a harbor town that was located in a very treacherous area. Boats would frequently capsize near the town as they would come in, the rocks, they would hit the rocks, bad weather, the boats would capsize. The town itself was known as a fateful rescue team. Whenever the bell sounded, a group, a large group of men would row out quickly to the scene of the disaster, risking their lives to remove sailors from the sinking vessels and to bring them to safety. After a few years, the town collected enough money to build a rescue station near the shore where it stored all the equipment. This made their work easier. Also, they provided specialized training so that they became more efficient and more effective rescuers. The operations continued and they became very efficient, saving hundreds of lives from the raging waters. But as time went by, Comforts and conveniences were added to this building. The cupboards became full of food. There was a dining room that was added, a lounge stuffed with chairs and recliners, and then there was a sleeping quarters. It became a community hangout. The lovely building was was now a club for townspeople to eat, meet, play games, and to socialize. The bell still sounded from time to time, but only a handful of people responded. After a decade or so, the bell would ring and no one would respond. They stayed in their comfortable club. For many churches, not just Southern Baptists, but many churches have become a club for people just to socialize, have fun, and to hang out. To preoccupy ourselves with our own needs, our own provisions. And we miss the fact that outside these walls, at the wells of the world are people who desperately need to be rescued because they are drowning in their sin, in their shame, in their guilt. We are failing to reach people because of our prejudice, because of our preoccupation, and then maybe not so much so, but I think this is still very important, our procrastination. Any procrastinators in the room? Yeah, anybody work best when you've procrastinated? Yeah, I mean, we all do. I mean, most of us work better when we've waited to the last minute. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you say that the harvest is four months away. Now, now physically speaking, that's probably true. But remember, Jesus is taking the physical, he's turning it into spiritual. And maybe there's a wheat field. And maybe as... The villagers who have heard the testimony of this woman are walking to the well. Jesus has this wheat field over here. And he looks at his disciples and he say, you know, you say we got to wait four months. Now's not the time to harvest the wheat. And then maybe he turns and he sees these people. Maybe with their uh, Arab or Palestinian headdresses. Bobbing and weaving with a glimmering of sunshine. Maybe they look like a wheat field. And Jesus says, look, I'm telling you the harvest is ready now. Now's not the time to wait. Now's not the time to let somebody else go do the work. Now's not the time to just sit by and do nothing. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to tell people about Jesus. These people are ready now. These people want to know about me now. They want to hear the gospel now. They don't want to wait any longer. Because the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. I think we get—we're just like that. We—we we, we get in our minds. Well, I'll tell that person about Jesus tomorrow. And there's some fear in that, and I don't—I don't, I don't want to. I mean, that's a real thing. Christians sometimes are afraid to tell people about Jesus, and that's honestly okay. That's why we pray. It's why we—it's why we try to pray for boldness and encourage some of us. We just don't know what to say. I promise you, the disciples—all they could have said was, "This is Jesus." And this is what we've seen him do. This is what he's done for us. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes your testimony can help change somebody's life. God's going to be the one who reaps the harvest. We just got to plant the seeds. We've just got to tell people about Jesus now. Other times we think, well, somebody else will do it. I want to tell you something. I heard this over and over and over again for years and years and years. We would go on mission trips and I would plan mission trips to Honduras and Ecuador and Romania and all these other places around the world. And this is what I always heard. "Well, Why don't you just let somebody else go? There's a lot of work to do here. Now, I get it. There is a lot of work to do here. I'm not diminishing the work that needs to be done here. But there's some prejudice in that statement, too. And usually my response became to be it's like, well, I agree. There's work to be done here. What are you doing now to meet those needs? God has called this team and me to go to this country to meet those needs. What is God calling you to do here in this community to meet these needs? Southern Baptists are great at sending money to missionaries, and we should be. I mean, we should. We cooperate with each other. We have one of the best missions organizations in the world. But sometimes a lot of people use that as an excuse to let somebody else do the work that we don't want to do. Now is the time, at your well, to tell people about Jesus. By the way, don't stop giving money to the missions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can do both. You can pray, you can do all three, actually. You can pray, you can give, and you can go. Where is your well where you can tell people, about jesus those are the three failures we see in the text but then we see this great encouragement from the text this great reasons and the encouragement of why now is the time to evangelize first it's this while the disciples are all struck and stunned we see a woman who god has used to reach an entire village if God can use this woman with this past of being a sinner who has gone from one bad marriage to another bad marriage and now an and from one bed to another bed, God can use anybody to reach your town or your village. God used her to do this work. God can use you to do this work. She had maybe an hour conversation with Jesus, if that. And she becomes one of the greatest missionaries in this whole village. The first missionary in this whole village. She never went to seminary. She just knew what Jesus did for her. God can use anyone that is faithful and obedient to him. The second thing we see when we spread the gospel, God moves. You don't have to be afraid of failing if you tell somebody about Jesus. Listen, not everybody's going to accept Jesus when you tell them. But that's, that's not a failure. The success is you shared Jesus. God's the one who's going to grow that seed. God's the one who's going to develop them. And you may this afternoon go eat somewhere and have a waitress or a waiter. And you may say, how can I pray for you? Let me give you a quick 30 seconds about Jesus. You may never see them again. And you're going to get to heaven and they're going to be there. Because you planted the seed. The encouragement we have is we just we just tell people about Jesus. We just stand on the truth of God's word. God's going to do the hard work of convicting them and getting them into their heart. God's going to do the work of helping them find hope instead of uncertainty. God will do the work of helping them find salvation instead of slavery. God will do the work where they find peace instead of misery. Where they find grace instead of judgment. Our job is just to love these people and to talk to them. And when the word of God goes out, it's never going to return void. You may not see what happens, but God does. You just have to tell people about Jesus. And that's the great encouragement to this whole thing. Is God's going to do the work. This whole town, many in this town, I'm not going to say the whole town, many in this town had a life-transforming experience with Jesus because this woman said, come and see. She didn't procrastinate. She wasn't preoccupied with her water jars. She wasn't prejudiced to her own people. She went and she told them about Jesus. If every single church, regardless of denomination, would be more like this woman we would see this world radically transformed. So the question I asked you two weeks ago is, where is your well? The question I'll ask you today, why are you not sharing Jesus at the well? And then the challenge is, tell people about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today asking that you would place a burden on our hearts for lost people in our neighborhoods, in our communities. That you would put a burden on our hearts for lost people in our state, in our nation, and even our world. That you would help us to see the needs that are around us. That you would just help us to do what we have to do now. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised an hour from now. We're not even promised a second from now. Help us to share Jesus now. We are your church called to fulfill your mission of making disciples and teaching people to obey. Father, help us to passionately and courageously be a people who do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.